Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the leftist podcast dedicated to the reevaluation of all your favorite crappy films. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. What do you hear? What do you say? <laughs> what? What do you hear? What do you say? That's what uh, Polly says when he gets out of prison in The Sopranos. Oh, yeah. okay. That, that was the first thing that came to mind. We were trying to do a thing on the, gotcha. for this episode. Yeah. All right. So, uh, folks, we fucked up whatever we were trying to do. And instead, you're just going to hear this. <laughs> it's not going to be cut out. Uh, this is a prison film, so it's relevant, what Nick was just trying to do. <laughs> it's, it's a prison film and just like... I think when I think of older movies, because this is definitely the oldest film we've we've talked about on the show. Yes. I think of kind of that like canned, kind of like tinny uh, affect to like a like like a like a prisoner talking and like old like yeah, fair what do you mean? See, kind of. Thing. Oh yeah. So no, it, and this film is full of that kind of stuff. That's fair. Um, so I think the word the word "c" as a question was the most common word in the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so folks, we are, as Nick uh, said, we are doing our oldest film on this podcast, uh, from the Halcyon days of 1938. <laughs> no, they're not, definitely not Halcyon. No, uh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe in comparison to what we have right now. Yeah, maybe um, in comparison. There wasn't a global pandemic in 1938. There was a war, but whatever. <laughs> uh, Superman came out in 1938. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's objectively better than today. Uh, <laughs> So this is a Fritz Lang film, uh, his third American picture. Uh, it's entitled You and Me. Uh, it stars uh, Sylvia Sidney, who some of you might know from uh, the film Beetlejuice. No, I mean, there's she's in plenty of other movies, but uh, she is actually in two of uh, Burton's films. She's in Beetlejuice and she is in Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks is actually her last film role. Uh, and uh, she... Uh, is joined here by uh, George Raft, uh, another classic actor. I mean, it'd be it's just it'd be insane to even try and list every film he's in, uh, or even like three or four, because the man has just a, a pretty um, prolific career. Uh, Barton McLean, Harry Carey, another gentleman with a very prolific career. Uh, you know, it's like I don't think most people could name a singular movie he's in, but uh, he was a Western film star who, I mean, I think he got a start in like 1913 uh, and worked through, um, you know, the 30s, I think through the 40s and 50s even. Um, and then we have some some smaller bit characters here. Uh, Roscoe Carnes, George Stone. Warren Himmer, Robert Cummings, Adrian Morris, Roger Gray, Cecil Cunningham, Vera Gordon, Egon Brecker, and William Robertson. Um, just a, a delightful cast of characters, um, you know, people who um, populated, you know, the majority of uh, these kind of gangster films of this era. Yeah, um, they definitely have that kind of like affect of, of early talky movie stars like um and i I don't say that disparagingly or anything it it, they're all they're all good in their roles but they they definitely feel very different and it's been a while since i've seen a movie that's this old but like they they feel old if that makes sense like they feel like of their time yeah Um, no for sure and again i want to stress that that's not a bad thing that's just like this movie very firmly occupies the 30s and that's um something i'm not really used to anymore so it was kind of cool to to jump back this far 
Yeah, I mean, there's whole styles of acting that most actors adhere to today that weren't even invented yet. Uh, so, you know, yeah, this yeah. is very much stage acting. This, they, they come from stage acting. Uh, I think George Raft was a dancer, actually. So he comes from that side of, of, of performance. Um, and, you know, Harry Carey comes from silent westerns. I mean, that's really is that's, where he started. That's and, wild. Uh, he made, I, I mean, I think hundreds of them. You know, um, pretty pretty crazy stuff. Um, he is not the sportscaster Harry Carey. Uh, that should be said. That he's a, that's a different person. <laughs> is is there a well known sportscaster Harry yeah, Carey? Yeah, there's a well known uh, sportscaster named Harry Carey. Mm-hmm. And it's not Harry Cherry either. Uh, no, no, it's not Harry Cherry. No, it's not the yeah the internet personality, the the Twitter personality. Is he still around? Is he still? No, I think he's off Twitter. He's whatever he's grifting somewhere who knows (laughs) who the hell knows um but yeah this movie was fritz lang's third american film as lewis was saying um it came after uh fury in 1936 and you only live once in 1937 so lang was just banging these out one per year basically oh yeah Mm mm-hmm and even right before this, when he's still in Germany, he's, he's just kind of banging them out as well. Um, he comes over to America uh, because, as you can imagine, uh, Hitler and the Nazi party. Uh, Lang was Jewish, uh, not practicing, but he had a Jewish ancestry. So he was worried about that. Uh, I think he comes over in 33 or 34. I think 34 he comes over. Um, he goes to Paris first, then he comes over to America and that's right after he has a meeting with Joseph Goebbels, actually, uh, because his film uh, Dr. Mabuse is banned in Germany um, by the Nazi party. And then Joseph Goebbels is like, hey, you're obviously a talented filmmaker. Why don't you work for us and make our propaganda? And he was like, yeah, I'll think about that one. And then he just goes to Paris. He's like, fuck this. Damn. <laughs> I don't want to be exterminated wild. by these people holy shit he yeah. we instead of having like edgelords on reddit saying like oh well you know birth of a nation is like a it's a well-made movie in the, in the it's got like technical achievements they could be saying that out of it's lying if he if he had collaborated yeah right i mean he could have been making nazi propaganda you know um in that's a different in, that's, world that's intense yeah it's it's he has a pretty crazy career um all three of his, uh, well, the first three of his American films actually all have uh, Sylvia Sidney, who who is the uh, the main female lead in this one. Um, I have not seen Fury. That one is um, about lynchings, actually. Um, not lynchings of African Americans, however. It's just about like lynchings, the idea of lynchings in like San Francisco or something like that. Um, and You Only Live Once is actually very similar to this film. Um, it's also about a, uh, a, a couple who are, um, on the lamb who are, uh, you know, criminals. Um, and I always get them confused. Like I almost, I almost <laughs> told you to watch that one instead. Um, which it, w- it would have been fine is also good. And it was also a box office flop like this film. So, um, you know, it, it fits within our parameters. And what's wild is this is the first Fritzling, this is the only Fritzling film I've seen so far. Um, Crazy. But I, I had seen this before because you told me to watch yes. it for a thing you wrote. And I forgot. We should link that. that. We, should, we should link that. Um, well, it doesn't exist. It did, so I, I submitted it to a film blog and they did not want it. So, but we should just 
put the pdf on, on twitter or something yeah uh we can it could be our bonus content i don't know yeah um, exactly but That's yeah I mean. we can do that because you edited it for me so it is kind of our work anyway yes so. yes it's a it's a procon uh, kind of the the precambrian procon um material <laughs> Um, but so Fritz Lang hated this film. Apparently, uh, he didn't like his other film, uh, "You and Me," made a year before this very much either. Um, Wait, well, you, you just said the other film, "You and Me." You're still confusing oh, Jesus them. Christ! I am so confusing <laughs> them. You only live no, that's once. great. You're you're proving you're proving your credentials here. <laughs> I am very smart. I went to film school, folks. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so he he didn't like either of these films. Um, he said about you and me, it was I think deservedly my first real flop. Uh, I couldn't find the numbers. Uh, it didn't um, they didn't have those anywhere that I could find. But I did find them for you only live once, and it made like six. It was made for like six hundred thousand, and then it only made back like five hundred thousand. So I imagine this film did worse than that um which uh it's just funny to think that movies only cost that much but even then like that was still a lot of money i guess i don't know yeah I don't like, know money. you have to take it take inflation into account but still i mean i imagine still there, there's no way this costs as much as like comparably the avengers or something right or even like maybe a movie like green book you know something that would be somewhat like comparable in terms of like production value you know like kind of that that middle of the road picture uh we do have a piece of a again our, our boy jonathan rosenbaum review um rosenbaum writes fritz lang takes a stab at a brechtian musical with songs by kurt veal and even some stretches of recitative this 1938 feature is among lang's most unjustly neglected hollywood pictures not an unqualified success by any means but interesting imaginative and genuinely strange um and as in every instance when we quote our boy uh i completely agree yeah it's, he's right it is it's weird it's weird but it's <laughs> it has some really unique um has some really unique moments and really unique uh like musical things that that of the three songs that that occur um and yeah it kind of like defies classification in a lot of ways yeah yeah, and we'll talk about that more, but it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. So I guess Kurt Weil was just, like, not doing anything at the time, and, you know, because they're Germans, I don't know if they knew each other previously, but uh, they were like, yeah, let's just, let's just make this movie together, and uh, and, and and here we are. Uh, <laughs> hey, work, work for hire is respectable. It's yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's, it's pretty wild. Uh, I'm really not sure if Kurt Weil did any other Hollywood films. I probably should have looked that up, but... Um, yeah, he did this one, and it's and he actually did more than three songs. He did about six, but only three actually made it into the the final cut of the film. He actually, I, I mean, I guess the Brechtian. I mean, I, I mean, I guess Rosenbaum would know what he's talking about, but Vile is most well known for working with Brecht. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. In uh, Brechtian, that means like working with like like work like approaching a production in a meta sense in in having like this dialectical awareness of right of, of like the workings and mechan- the real world workings and mechanics behind the, the presentation yeah i think that's accurate yeah um i'm doing some live action research here oh he did film music for one other movie called where do we go from here hmm 45 interesting um a 1945 romantic musical comedy fantasy film 
again with those genres <laughs> uh by gregory ratoff if you know who that is nope yeah whatever sorry folks film film school letting us down again film school dropout now i i graduated i don't know why but i did debatably, <laughs> we, we both debatably graduated <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, there's not much to dislike about this movie. Um, and I guess we can get into it in a little bit when we get to the plot breakdown, but like the, the closest thing, closest thing to a complaint I could have is like the first act drags a little bit. It, and even drags is being, is me being too harsh. The first act is just, it's very slow, but, um, it's charming and, and just on the strength of the two leads. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely falls within the romantic comedy uh, trappings for the, the first act of this film. I mean, in later acts, too. I mean, honestly, like the third act is, is pretty heavy. It leans pretty heavy on the romantic comedy aspect. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sets everything up well. Um, but uh, yeah, everything it, it's not as interesting as, as the rest of the film, I would say. Yeah, and um, this, is, this is purely personal, but much of the action takes place in a sporting goods store, and that gave me some horrible flashbacks to, this is a joke, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a thing, I'm a podcaster, I'm doing a bit. I had some awful experiences when I worked um, in an industrial job um, in a dick sporting goods, so like this, this kind of, this, this really got me. <laughs> yeah. They're dicks at dicks, I can say. Oh, no, yeah. the employees were fine. It was just bad experiences working retail. Retail folks, hey, it's thematic for this episode, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I should say it's not just a sporting goods store. It's an old school department store. Right. Uh, but George Raff's character does work in the sporting goods section. Yeah, and I guess that, that can be a good segue into talking about the film itself because one of the first things that struck me, um, at least on a superficial level, is just how um, different the atmosphere of retail was uh, going on a hundred years ago. Um, and I, I, like, I don't want to be too much of like a trad or anything, but like <laughs> it, it is palpable how different like the idea of the service industry was back then. Um, and even in things like, you know, I know airlines is the other classic example. Um, and I mean, what makes me not trad is like, that's because of the owner ownership class and CEOs. It's not because of like the people even regional managers, but like, yeah, this movie, um, a lot of the, a lot of the initial setup, uh, really hinges on like the idea of being like, like providing service to your customers and like, and like having that professionalism. Right. I mean, it's, it's really the first maybe five minutes of setup where we're introduced to all the, the main characters in this movie. Um, which actually first the the film begins with a song one of uh kurt vile songs uh and that one is called i think the, the cash register song is the name of that one yeah when i looked it up on google uh it suggested paper planes by mia which is funny yeah it's almost less of a song and more like a spoken word piece set yeah. to music yeah um it's pretty it's pretty great um basically the the message of the song is like yeah you everyone says money can't buy happiness but everything it like in in the world it costs to live 
Right. Yeah. I mean, the first line of the song uh, or spoken word poem, what do we want to call it, is you can't get something for nothing. Only a chump would try. Uh, and then they just list like things that, you know, you and I would maybe think or you and me you would and me, maybe hey, think nice. uh, that, uh, you know, we're free, like going out in the outdoors and enjoying a hike but you know like they even say like that's not free and because you know there's these there's ideas of access and such and if that that implies that you have the leisure time to spend doing that rather than work for subsistence right as opposed to being in the shitty department store uh so (laughs) you know or they say like learning you know you have to be able to afford to learn right either buy a book or go to school um so it's really interesting it's um it's a very bold way to start a film and all the shots are pretty cool. They're very, they're just like tableaus. Like there's one, they just kind of list things and there's my favorite tableau is like the guns one. It's just like a very, very well composed shot of just like guns and a target. And I, I like the toy airplane too. When he mentions like travel. And yeah. Like yes. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that, that part's good. It, it, it really gives the whole movie like the air of, Kind of, kind of like a morality tale, like a fable. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the narrator that sings, he doesn't really appear in the in the rest of the movie at all. Like, like there, there's no narration. No, no, there's no narration. Um, it'd be interesting if you if he would have come back as kind of like a Greek chorus, but uh, no, he's just in the beginning, which is fine. I mean, I think it adds to, uh, I think it adds to that Brechtian quality um, of you know, kind of just using all these different kinds of. Um, you know these these different aspects of theater um and and not exactly consistently um but and for a, a spef- specific purpose and generally with like brecht it was always kind of like you know educational in some way right it's didactic um what's there's the word like verfring duns effect or whatever um where you're supposed <laughs> to, it's like bullshit, the alienation yeah. effect where you're, you're supposed to have the audience alienate themselves from the actual characters on screen and so they can understand the societal implications and stuff like that i think you'd definitely say that this movie is has didactic elements um but like again it i, I wouldn't call it a, a didactic film and that just like further adds another layer to the the heap of genres that this thing has accrued. Yeah. Well, I think I mean I, I think when you get into some some aspects of the the blend of genres, especially like the rom com section, it it, it kind of takes away from this film just being a purely didactic film. Um, and it's it's a Hollywood film, so it obviously has to be entertaining and make money, or else. Right, and there, there's a funny, there's a great quote by Lang um, about this movie uh here it is um lang and this, this is going straight off wikipedia uh lang did say that he was influenced by brecht who had developed a style of theater called uh Lerstück, theater that teaches so i think that might have been what you were thinking of earlier it's there's like three different words but that's yeah, yeah. that's true yeah that's <laughs> the germans um and then lang lang directly stated i wanted to make a didactic picture teaching the audience that crime doesn't pay which is a lie because crime pays very well <laughs> The message was spelled out at the end by Sylvia Sidney on a blackboard to a classroom of crooks. And actually, goddamn, Wikipedia coming through for us again. Just circling back to Veal really quick. Uh, Lang says Veal had nothing to do just then. They worked Amazing. together in Veal composed uh, introductory music for certain scenes. Uh, Lang later said the scene where the prisons were nostalgic for prison was stupid. Um, disagree, <laughs> buddy. 
Jeez. No, he really hated this film. Uh, it's 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 pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I can imagine, especially like if it was a financial disappointment, just like at at the pace he was working. Right. And, and on the heels of another financial disappointment. Um, uh, and but his first American film, Fury, it was nominated for I think an Oscar for writing. So and it was and it was a box office success. So it, yeah. Is the De Palma film a remake? No, it's not. Yeah, it's just no. same same title. Yeah, the same title. No, it's nor is that uh, that other uh, World War Two one about like a tank. There, there's no relation between those three films named Fury. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's the one with uh, Brad Pitt and I think yep. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Yep. Yeah, great, mm-hmm. wonderful. I have not Amazing. seen that film, but that okay, folks. That is a uh, triple feature for for you for you listeners out there. Go watch Fury, 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 Fury. <laughs> That's the American version of Tora Tora Tora. <laughs> but yeah, this movie. So uh, we get the we get our little introduction song. Um, we are introduced to the main players who work at uh, the Morris's the, Morris's department store. Uh, very very much like a Macy's kind of thing, like old school Macy's. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. uh, they sell everything. They have like very specialized staff. Um, we get my favorite character's introduction. He's trying to sell something called the Goosey Gander the Goosey Locker Gander. to a little girl. <laughs> my, my boy Gimpy. Yes. <laughs> He's like, all the, all the little girls love a Goosey Gander Rocker. She's like, no, I don't want it. It's stupid. He's like, listen, kid, I'll wring your neck if you don't tell your mom you want to yeah, buy this. He, he's like, I'll, I'll wrap this Goosey Gander Rocker around <laughs> your fat neck. <laughs> and then the mom comes over and she's like, oh, so honey, do you want it? And she's like, yeah, I guess I'll take it. And she's like, oh, you're, you're so good with kids. <laughs> but uh, that is that is just one instance of, of the whole sequence um, of other of other employees at Morris's um, kind of kind of interacting with customers and in, in alluding to um, cr- their criminal past, which is mm-hmm. the case. Yeah, we learn that um, Mr. Morris, played by Harry Carey, uh, only hires ex-convicts. Well, not only um, he makes majority the point, at least. No, not even majority. Like he makes his his wife kind of chews him out because like she she's insulted by one of the by one of the staff um, who pantomimes like listening in on a safe, um, and she's like, "Oh, you 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 collect you collect inmates like you like other men collect stamps." And then he says something like, it's only 50 out of, like, 2,000. Oh, okay. Whatever. I mean, kind of kind of a nitpick, but I, I think the idea that, like, it's kind of like a pet project mm-hmm. is real to real life. Like, it, it's kind of like, a oh, this benevolence of, like, a CEO. It's not like he's committing to it. It's just kind of like a, a, a dilettante thing. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. And, and, that, and that plays out um, later in the film, definitely. Uh, his attitudes uh, towards towards these um, you know these previously incarcerated folks, um, but yeah. So the the two main characters here of uh, Helen and Joe. Uh, Helen, I don't really know what department she works in. I can't remember. We don't see we well. We see her just stopping ladies someone clothes, from I think. yeah, ladies' clothes because she stops someone like robbing a a silk frock. Um, but Joe works in sporting goods. He sells a woman a tennis racket, 
and uh he's like i I know all the rackets and i've tried them all and i've broken them all in and this is the best racket and then he holds up a tennis racket (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's like hardcore flirting with him but yeah so um we learn in really you know interesting little moment here that uh, joe and helen are a couple or they like each other at least in this moment they're dating going steady whatever old people used to do um but uh, as joe is going down the escalator and i just realized i wrote elevator in our show notes uh (laughs) and 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 helen is going up the escalator um they put their hands on the the hand railing and they just they touch their hands touch for like two seconds um and it's very very effective efficient way of showing that these people are in love and so um Basically, we learned that Joe had just finished his parole because he's he's one of the ex-cons there. Um, He is leaving for California because he hopes he can get a fresh start. And he has one last night out on the town with Helen. Uh, They go out, they have a few drinks, they go dancing. Um, They get into a funny altercation with like some guy. Oh yeah, he just beats up this random guy. It's great. Well, the the guy tries to hit on Helen. Yeah, yeah whisk off her feet and neither of them are interested um helen and joe aren't interested obviously and so they're about to throw down but um they they can't fight in the dance hall so like when they fight later joe just knocks them out yeah it's funny it's pretty funny um but we're given some clues in this scene that helen is also uh an ex-con yeah she um when they go past like a poster at the dance hall, it says something about like, you know, free drinks or something, or you, you know, buy one, get one free. So it says some sale of drinks on the, uh, on the premises. And, uh, she kind of looks at it and she hesitates to go inside. Um, and we, and we learn that, uh, people on parole can't go to, can't even go to establishments that serve alcohol and they can't drink either. Um, and uh, and that's the first time we hear kind of like these these limitations, these guidelines um, uh, around parole, and we keep hearing them throughout the film. They kind of punctuate the film. It's uh, it's 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 pretty interesting, like how it just lingers over the film. And um, on a more personal note, like it it's one of those prejudices that I never really thought was that real as a kid, and that that definitely speaks to like the the middle-class bougie way that I was brought up, but like it always seemed exaggerated to me when, when someone with a, like with a criminal past in a, in a work of fiction would be presented as like tainted somehow. I thought that was like a ridiculous exaggeration. I, th- I thought it was something out of the thirties right? rather than something that persists today, but no, that is, right. that is very much the case. Many companies definitely Probably worse you. today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, honestly. Um, Maybe maybe in like different ways, but it's probably right. comparably like at, at least comparable, if not worse. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 good that this movie takes that tack. Like it it, it takes the tack that hiring an ex-con is a deliberate choice that that does kind of put your 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 reputation at risk. And I wonder if um, the the like all-consuming presence that parole plays in this film is like somewhat influenced by fritz lang's experience under you know uh nazi germany uh, he didn't live in nazi germany for a long period of time uh, maybe a year at most um but you know i mean the but i mean place as, were around as, and I mean, and as a jew 
right. in Nazi Germany. Like, right. I, I can only imagine what, what kind of effect that would have. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, he didn't write this film by any means, but, um, you know, maybe he had some influence on, on these kind of aspects, um, because of his lived experience. So I just kept thinking about it this time when I, when I watched it in, in like, choosing which projects to work on i'm sure that played right. a role right. in his decision making process yeah exactly but yeah so our our romantic comedy continues apace um joe's about to go away on a bus to california um forever and and helen has this really plaintive and like adorable look she's like if you want me to marry you i'll, I'll do it right now <laughs> but yeah. just, he jumps off the bus and they get married it, it's very like yeah he throws his suitcase out the window and then he tells the bus driver to stop oh it was it was a good ride thanks yeah. <laughs> that's the thing yeah it's it's like it's not hilarious but like it, it's genuinely witty and mm-hmm. um like the the little I guess you would call them like sitcom beats, like situational comedy beats are, um, they're like, they land They're They're good. And I, it, it delivers on that front too. Or, or rom-com beats. Cause it is a, it is a romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah. But like, I don't know, like, like the idea of like throwing a suitcase out of a bus. And then when you go to pick it up, it, it like falls open that, that, that reads like a situational comedy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the situational comedies, you know, were definitely influenced by, you know, film. Film came first, folks, then television. Fuck television. Yeah, it's, a fuck- it's a bullshit medium. <laughs> Especially prestige TV. We hate, we hate prestige TV. Yeah, we TV hate prestige. Fuck that shit. Um, except if it's anime. We love anime, folks. Well. <laughs> one of okay. them. Half, half of us, us love anime, folks. The other one only likes Digimon anime. Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, so they, they get hitched. Um like right that that night and in another thing that seems dated but isn't really dated the more you think about it when they try to go back to helen's place because joe doesn't have a place anymore um they have to sneak in and they can't Mm -hmm. alert the landlord um and on the face of it like that that is a very like oh they were so old and foggy back in the 30s like a, a a young unmarried woman couldn't bring a man into her her apartment without the landlord like getting getting pissed um in that specific form of control doesn't exist anymore to in most cases anyway i don't know i've heard people who like they rent from like a just an independent landlord who has like one or two properties and like they're very backwards uh in in their in their politics um and like they don't allow people to like bring significant others over or have loud parties or like literally do anything except like sleep eat and poop like that's it Um, yeah and i guess everywhere i've lived in an apartment it's been through an agent like a real like like a company owns it and and they're they generally don't give a shit like what you do in your personal life um what they do care about though is like you were saying a lot of parties like the the restrictions on on lowering the property value or lowering like impacting the other residents right so that rather than leave it up to the residents to like kind of form a community and discuss among themselves they they have this code of conduct so that that is very much still a thing it almost 100 years later for sure yeah i mean and i live in a college town so there's a lot of independent landlords that also just rent to either grad students um or 
I mean, that's one of the big ones that they're like, if you see speculation, like um, stipulations in, in, in like on a Craigslist ad or something, they'd be like, we, we rent to students, but only grad students or something like that, you know, or like only married undergraduates. There's like something crazy like that. I also, I live in the South. So, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, 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 okay, yeah, that, it's that's a reactionary a place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- yeah. This, this movie is really relevant. Like all these, all the, yeah. all the different factors of it. Um, but neither one of us has a charming Russian couple. Uh, no, we do not. <laughs> German, Russian. One of the... I couldn't tell. Well, I think it's German because they say Kinder, and I think that yes, is yes, yeah, it's German yes. for kid. Yes, kid children, um, kid children, kid children, <laughs> children kids. Yeah, so they they tell the landlord, like the land the land couple, that oh, this is my hu- Joe's my husband. He's we we can we can for- we we can sleep together and it's not fornication. Yeah, like oh, okay, very good, very good. Like you stay. Yeah, the the Levines, Mister and Mrs. Levine. Yes, yes. Um, and crucially in the scene, we also learn that um, Helen, we we do get confirmation that she is an ex-con as well. Yeah, the um the parole card. I, it's like this little card from the parole commission that your your parole officer like checks off when they meet you and like if you're a good boy or girl. I guess I don't know. It's 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 um, I'm sure it's just we have a digital version of that now. Obviously, we don't actually do a little uh, like punch card style. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting image that we see a few times throughout the film. Yeah, it, it looks like a kind of a library like old school library yes in, in, insert into the back yep, of the book yep. and and crucially on the back side it has all, all the all the rules she has to follow and um prominently one of them is don't get married mm-hmm. yeah because uh as her parole officer explicitly states later on um per, like ex-cons on parole don't have civil rights like yep. that's a line he says yep. that mm-hmm. yeah parolees is the is the term i believe don't have civil rights which yeah. is true and Mm, they can't enter into like legal contracts and stuff like that, as he says. Yeah, and it's kind of um, a dead horse at this point. But like the Thirteenth Amendment to the, to the Constitution, it bans slavery, except in cases of imprisonment. Right. right. So mm. like the the, the this country literally does regard prisoners as slaves and like legally. Right. Yeah, I mean, we 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 see it with um, you know the um, the forest fires in California. Probably other forest fires. Like I just that's the oh, one yeah, I know. Oh yeah, that's probably um, just the biggest and most obvious example. Yeah, and then like uh, I know in New York, the uh, hand sanitizer uh, that the state was pumping out was made by uh, prison prison labor. Um, and my understanding was actually they were just like relabeling stuff mostly. Like it wasn't actually like they weren't actually producing it. It was just like relabeling, uh, just putting like the, the 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 New York State seal on it. Which is just fucking wild. Jesus Christ. And and there's so many examples of just like going you can go online on, on any kind of social media and look for it and you'll find it. There's like lists of companies that still that use prison labor to make their products. Yeah. So I live in Virginia, which I think I've said before. I don't care, whatever. Um It's a big but, state, uh, no one will find you. Yeah, it's a big state. <laughs> they um the state of Virginia, like if you're a state institution you have to buy prison labor furniture because the state prisons make furniture and there was a law passed. You have to buy furniture if you're a state institution from the prison labor. That's, oh, that's, 
Yeah. And then there's like Angola, which was a previously a plantation and is still a, basically a plantation, except now it's uh, it's a prison uh, where, uh, yeah, predominantly African-American people uh, work in fields. Yeah. That's charming. Mm-hmm. So that's a good book. Charming. What a charming world we live in. But yeah, so we get some more scenes of, of Joe and Helen living in domestic bliss. Um, it's really funny because... She kind of lives in like a, it's, it's like a studio apartment, I guess. And um, her fireplace flips down into her bed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a Murphy bed. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy. Cause like it, it just, it looks like a wall. It, it looks like a fireplace. There's a mirror above the fireplace and there's like a statue on the fireplace. And you just like, you pull it all down. It's all glued to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> the pillows great. were attached to the mattress too yeah, yeah the pillows great. are like attached to like velcro or something <laughs> and because this is a post code film you know so the the, the Hayes code is in effect by 1938 um we see the bed but we don't like see them sit on the bed or lay in the bed or even really talk about the bed um because that would be that would not be allowed the whole romance is pretty chaste um they they kiss in quite a few scenes, but like the idea of sex is only ever alluded to, um, which is funny. Cause like, it, they're a bunch of criminals and like, they're, they're supposedly like rowdy and, and beyond the bounds of society and everything. But like, they're, they get bashful around girls. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like, they're like little kids that are like, I'm going to kill you and shoot you. Oh, it's a girl. No gross. Like later when, you know, Helen says she's, well, she doesn't say she's pregnant because you couldn't say that either. Like, you couldn't say the word they pregnancy. They allude to it, yes. They have to allude that she's with child. But yeah, so basically the, the conflict is set up at this point. Helen doesn't, Helen and Joe both know that Joe's a, a, a parolee because that's common knowledge. But Helen does not let Joe know that she is too. Right. And she, mm-hmm. she is desperately trying to keep that secret from him. Um and I guess I guess you could kind of like tease out a feminist reading, like the idea of even among otherized um, populations, which in this case would be parolees, um, women have it worse just because like the expectation is higher for them. Um, that 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 reads as true to me. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, we don't even meet any other of the you know female like ex cons who who work at Morris's. I assume there are other ones, but. Uh, Helen's the only one that we meet um yeah so that that's kind of that's one of the the conflicts in this film um the other conflict is that uh so Mr. Morris thinks that the ex-cons who work for him don't know each other um that they don't know who is an ex-con but the majority of them who we've met previously in this film uh, they all know each other. They have all worked in the same gang, and they all were in the same prison together. He he's trying to be so woke. He's like, oh, they're not all the same. Not all ex-cons are the same. They don't all know each other, but yeah, they do. They, like uh, <laughs> they all know each other. They all work for this one guy called like the Big Boss. Well, actually, they they work for one guy named Mickey, and then Mickey works for another guy called the Big Boss, who we only we only see from behind at one point. Um, but uh, you know. Department store wages were really no better than wages of today. Uh, so they devise a plan to rob Morris's uh, after the holidays. Because uh, this is actually, this is both a Thanksgiving and a Christmas film. Yes. 
they they plan the hit on Thanksgiving and they attempt the hit on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the the Thanksgiving uh, scene is one of the best. Yes. In this movie. Yes. Uh, we get our second song. Um, yeah. No, we got our third song. It's our last right. song. Right. Because the the second song was when they when Joe and Helen were up dancing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forgot to mention too, uh, in that second song. It's like, that's another like little morality fable. It's yes. like lo- love the man that comes into your life because you'll never know when he leaves. And like as the singer in the nightclub sings, um, she's singing about like, oh, I, I used to work down the docks. I, I would sing in the sing in the sailor bars and everything. And one day this this handsome dusky stranger smelling of the sea came in, and we see it play out on screen. <laughs> like we see like a a sailor bar full of like pirates and and, sh- and sailors and shit. <laughs> And like, and the guy has like a parrot on his, on his shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> he comes in the door. He as she's she's like, he came in the door, and like he he opens the door. And he walks in it's like, <laughs> with a parrot on his shoulder. It's yeah, great. it's fun, great. Um, yeah, it's it's really strange. Um, I'm glad they include that one. So there's a part of me that's like, why did they include this one? But it's a little music know. video in the in yeah, the, in the first it, act. It is. It's, it's a precursor to music videos. And then, and then this one, this this is a truly mind-bending one because it's a bunch of, it kind of reminds me of the Peter Jackson Hobbit movie when they start singing. Oh, yeah. Because, like, they, they're yes. just, like, banging on the table just, and they happen to start singing. Um, and they start singing about how they how, how they miss prison. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which so, is wild. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a wild scene. And we kind of get, like, that music video quality again to this one, except this is more of, like, a flashback. So they, they, they flash back to when they were all in prison. Um, and we see that um, it's kind of like almost like a double exposure. So there's there's some scenes, there's some shots where like we see them in the present day like singing, and then there's like a double exposure of um, there's a there's like a criminal called uh, Number One, uh, who they they keep mentioning. He's like this, this this big bad criminal who did all these terrible things, and they finally got him. Um, and they 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 it's I think it's called the Knocking Song um, because like when they're in prison they like they knocked on the pipes for like code and stuff and um they're like who are you and it's just like one big bong and they're like oh, it's number one number one they finally got number one <laughs> and number one tries to break out but he he gets shot down um before it gets too far um yeah and i, I guess that's like i don't want to say like the moral of the, of the song but it, it's kind of like what the song is building to because like they they keep mentioning how they oh we can eat chicken anytime we want we can we can get a drink anytime we want we can we can get a woman anytime we want but it was it was like better when it was con- tightly controlled in prison mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that that sense of like being conditioned by prison I, that that's kind of like one of the themes of one of the most popular prison movies um, Shawshank Redemption which I right. kind of don't like but like it's certainly very popular mm-hmm. um, and it definitely introduced that idea of like prison is a conditioning system and it trains you to be there forever yeah and that's what's interesting about the film like it's so obvious that that is the message of this scene um and not what fritz lang thought which is like that oh these guys are just sitting around saying they had a better in prison it's like no 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 like they they believe that because of what prison does to a person because it makes it easier for them to exist in the system uh, of prison, then it makes it, it it conditions their mind to be able to absorb and and you know kind of work within that system as opposed to out uh, in the real world. Um, 
so I, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, Fritz Lang was not like a, a prison abolition scholar or anything like that. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just as the author, we can, we can apply our own reading as long as it's internally consistent and in the yeah. idea that prisoners face pressure, um, to, to fall prey to recidivism right. that I think that holds up within the movie, within the text of the movie. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's really what the, the, these sections about crime and the heist are about, uh, honestly, uh, recidivism is such a big uh, part of it, um, from here on out basically. Um, so yeah, they, they decide to rob Morris's and, and they say specifically because like they are making nickels while he is making, you know, the big money. Um, that's like explicitly said, in the, in this in this seg- this segment, and that's how they try to persuade Joe to join them. Because uh, at this point, Joe's kind of like on the fence about everything. He doesn't he he, he is being lied to by uh, his wife. Uh, she tells him at one point that oh, you can't tell anybody the story that we're married because Morris doesn't like uh, his employees to be married. But then the next day he goes into work and he hears uh, an older gentleman who's worked there for, you know, 10 years talk about how, oh, it's so nice you moved my wife into that other department. Um, right, yeah. He, of course, she, she can't sustain the lie uh, for as long as she needs to just because it's, it's too obvious. You can't yeah. hide that kind of thing. And that's how he ends up at um, the, the gang's for the gang's hideout for Thanksgiving because he's like, you know what, I'm just going to I got to get out of here. I can't, you know, deal with her lying to my face. And also, um, fell son extraordinaire Gimpy. He he tempts him. He's like, "Oh, let's get a drink, Joe. Let's let's yeah. you and me. Let's get a drink. We'll, we'll go out. We'll just have a few drinks. It's it's Thanksgiving Eve. Come on, Joe." Yeah, no, Gimpy's incredible uh, <laughs> throughout this whole movie. Uh, I've definitely seen that actor in, in other films, and he kind of always plays this like lovable, lovable idiot role. Yes, yes, it's um, it's good stuff. Um, so yeah, Joe, Joe is convinced eventually, um, and he does tease it out of Helen that she was, uh, in, in the clink because he is told by the gang members that they recognized her from there too. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that night, the Thanksgiving scene, they mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and, and then he goes back to confront her and, and he does it in a clever way. This was like clever writing. I thought, um, he sits down, he pretends everything's normal and she, she's like cooking or something. Um, and he just is talk. He's asking her questions pretty quickly. Um, he's like, "Oh, how long have you been cooking right now?" Blah, 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 blah. And she's like, "Oh, well, you know, an hour or whatever." He's like, "Oh yeah, how long have you been working at Morris's?" "Oh, a year." And they're like, "Oh, and how long were you before that?" And then she says, "Oh, th- about three years." And she yeah. gives herself away just because in the flow of conversation. Yeah. When yeah, he that, asks, that was pretty clever. Yeah. When he asks, like, "Oh, how long have you been?" in here meeting in prison and they have genuine chemistry too like i think yeah they really um, do they work they really work well together um i don't think i've actually seen any other george raft films um but like i said prolific actor i probably have yeah uh, g- given how many films you've seen you've probably at least seen a mo- like a movie where he's in it yeah it's possible maybe not one that he like starred in but uh i've seen i've seen several uh sylvia sydney films uh, more recently actually during quarantine i watched uh alfred hitchcock's film sabotage um which is sort of a adaptation of um joseph conrad's the secret agent okay yeah uh and she plays the the main lead in that and then um she was actually in the first three of uh, Lang's American films. So she's in Fury. She's in You Only Live Once. 
and this. And uh, yeah, they're they're really good. She she's great. She's really like spunky. She has like a cool like like rapport and everything. Um, she she's believable in this role. Um, George Raft. He's kind of a short king. Yes. He's like <laughs> he's barely taller than her, but when he gets in fights, um, like he he roughs up some of the gang members when they start insulting her. Um, he pieces shit like all of them. Like, yeah, he, he just like, like six of them. <laughs> There's one amazing cut. Um, one of the one of the mobsters rushes him and he punches him, and then we get a quick cut, and the guy is like thrown across the table and he slides yes. across the floor. It's it's really funny. And then it's one great. of them like hits into like the the player piano and like breaks yes. the player piano. And then he goes to punch Gimpy. And he's like, Joe, I, I wasn't saying anything. Joe, I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> Gimpy take, can't take a punch. Can't take a punch, Gimpy. He, he doesn't need to. He he's, a, he's a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> so yeah the heist is all set up um they go to break into morris's and they do um they they position their their getaway trucks and everything they sneak around the the policemen and there are some really cool shots as they're both kind of positioning for the break-in and when they're doing the break-in um i mean i mentioned that this movie came out the same year as superman um but like it kind of reminded me of like a batman like crooks like sneaking into yeah very much like, like the batman animated like opening. yes yeah 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 um and it's just quick quick aside here but I, I it is my contention that so many of the dc movies would work best as period pieces and yeah. to see like a batman or a superman like like, like a superman like slum busting or, or busting the kkk like done in this style like as a as a black and white talkie movie would be amazing i think yeah and i think like the art deco style of like the thirties just works so well with Batman. I don't know why you wouldn't want to just always do an art deco Batman movie. It would be incredible. It, it would make so much more sense. You could, you could get around so many issues. It, it would look amazing. Um, yeah. I just, a, a Batman movie done in the style of the break in of you and me would be <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, if there's time to uh, reshoot some of the Batman with Robert Pattinson, <laughs> yeah, just and start over. Listening. Fuck it. Start over. Yeah, Fuck start it. Start over. Robert Pattinson, if you're listening during quarantine to our podcast somehow, uh, please. Gimpy could be like, I don't know, what's a what's a weirdo kind of mob Scarface. Oh like the, yeah. The one, the one with the ventrilo no ventriloquist with the. Right, Scarface is the doll. Yeah, but the the guy, the man, yeah, yeah. is ventriloquist, and he has the he has a little yeah. <laughs> he could even be like a good clay face. I was I was gonna say clay face at yeah. first, but I'm like no no no. But yeah, you're right. That would be good. Yeah, lovable loser. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so all all of that builds up, all that cool aesthetics, um, and they're they're busted as soon as they get in because yeah. we find out that, um, I think it was Gimpy tipped off Helen. Who tipped off Mr. Morris? Yeah, Gimpy uh, calls Helen, and he like puts like a sock over the the old school like phones, uh, you know, the receiver. And uh, but then he drops it when he gets mad. Yeah, he gets mad. He drops it. And she's like, oh, "It's Gimpy." <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he does that out of loyalty to Joe because he knows that Joe shouldn't be getting mixed up in this shit right yeah i mean the man just got off parole is you know kind of getting his life back together um 
Yeah, no, I remember when I first saw this film, I was like really excited for the heist itself. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I know Fritz Lang can do this. This is going to be so fucking awesome. Um, but then I was, I was still... Uh, I was not disappointed by what comes next. However, this is um, this part is galaxy brain to the max. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Mr. Morris is there. The uh, security guards are there. Helen is there. Um, they don't arrest them. They Morris is like, I I was gonna arrest you. Uh, I I heard from he actually like we learn later that Morris not only heard from Helen but like some other employees who like the gang paid off like they all everybody squealed basically like everybody squealed on the gang <laughs> yeah um it, it, it gets a little confusing just because all these guys look alike um <laughs> it's true it's, it's, except the short ones short. there's a few there are a few short kings like the, yeah the safe cracker guy he's Gim- gimpy and and joe obviously stand out because like they're they're the main ones but like all the rest of them they kind of just they, they, they comprise like one collective entity like the mob yeah oh yeah Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, Mr. Morris is like, I was going to turn you over, but Helen here, uh, she has another idea. So we'll leave you to it. Shut the lights off when you leave. Uh. So the security guards and Mr. Morris leave. Helen is there, and she's like, take a seat, boys. And uh, this is my favorite part. It's a little detail. Um. But like some of them just take. They're in like the kitty section, like the child section. Gimpy section. The gimpy section. <laughs> uh someone i don't know if it's gimpy but someone sits in like a little child's chair like, a goose a goosey gander rocker <laughs> well one of them the the safe cracker guy sits in like a toy car and he just he's rocking it back and forth <laughs> like impatient he's just like all right you just get done with it come on the fact that this movie was made so early and like the fact that this part is kind of like it's kind of like cartoony saves it because this would be a huge like like resistance lib mindset moment otherwise because like because after they all take their seats helen like a school teacher teaches them the inefficiency of crime yep <laughs> through math <laughs> through yeah math. It, it's also on a blackboard that's called mr morris's blackboard f-u-n <laughs> yeah she she breaks down like the she gets the the the, the expenditures and in the projected profit from the heist and she breaks it down and she's like well you see mathematically it makes more sense to work a minimum wage job here at morris yeah, he's like this is consistent work unlike you know working for the mob the, the only like interesting point that she brings up is that um you will always have a boss, no matter it be Morris or if it be, you know, the big boss of the mob. Um, but unfortunately, the the what what she wants them to get out of that is that uh, Mr. Morris is the better boss as opposed to your big boss mob guy. Um, and, and, well, and also another kind of interesting um, aspect of it is they she says that that big boss guy, he only makes the money because he's also a politician as well. Yes, uh, which is interesting phrasing to say the least. Um, and yeah, like I, I guess like in the sense that you won't be threatened by the law. A legal owner is a safer boss, but like that. Of, of course, this one's get into it, but like it it elides the nuances of like oh, 
like wage theft and, and like right. exploitation mm-hmm. in the in the in the in the workplace. Um, so yeah, it, it it does really dip heavily into that um, didactic aspect that we hit upon earlier. Um, yeah, like 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 literally teaching the the characters and by extension the audience that crime doesn't pay. Right. Even though Lang said it does. Right. Well, and I think, you know, Brecht would probably have agreed that it actually does. I, I, I think, like, this is where it's no longer Brechtian, where, like, it kind of loses its, like, leftist message, and it's just, like, you know, kind of, like, shit-lib stuff. Uh. I mean, the the kind of, like, the, the backwards implied message that you could take from this is, like, oh, crime does pay. You just have to be really careful. <laughs> just, yeah. just make sure you don't – make sure you're not a gimpy. Yeah. Don't be gimpy. Don't get caught. And like, I don't know. Don't work for a big boss. Like, I don't know. Get a better like, get a better boss, or don't have a boss and just like figure out how to fence all your goods better than these assholes. <laughs> don't be like gimpy and bring um, an heirloom flintlock pistol to the yes. heist. You mean a heirloom, as he okay. says. <laughs> when when the when the feds disarm the crooks, he's like, yeah, that's that's an hair that's a heirloom. <laughs> Yeah, it should be noted that he has an amazing voice also. Uh, oh, and then he's the only one who puts his hands up, or, like, he keeps his hands up. He puts them up well above his head. While keeps still holding his while. bag above his head. Yeah, he keeps there forever. Um, and, and they're, like, they're patting him down, and he's like, oh, I'm ticklish. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mr. Morris is like, put your hands down, Gimpy. You're making me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> True fail son energy. He's great. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it, uh, Helen says like in the end that they would all get, and there's like 10 of them, they would get a share of $113.33 um, from a haul that was like 35000 or something like that. Yeah, it's basically the amount that they would have made in like a week. Or yeah. they, they mentioned something like that. It's like it, it's like your, your week bi-weekly wages or something. Right. Mm-hmm. I will say though, like, it would be cool to rob a workplace like in minecraft whatever you know in minecraft <laughs> in minecraft um allegedly like <laughs> yeah especially especially one of those dicks like morris for sure yeah i mean like you know my theory is that there's some people who definitely worked for the target in minneapolis who burned it down right like i would i would burn i you know like if i worked at target i'd burn it down fuck it and it and hey, the the CEO of Target said that it was fine. Yeah, he said it's fine. It burnt down. So we'll, fuck we'll, cares? We'll build it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's just a building. It's not a person's life. So fuck that building. I will mention at one of the corporate retail jobs I have, um, because retail's hell, and I don't mind sharing this, and I won't name the the business, but like, I had to watch the last prevention training videos as a part of that jo- uh, job training, and um, the stated company policy. This is like a very large company was um if the alarms at the front of the door go off like you know like the magnetic strip or whatever, oh yeah, yeah like magnetic strips attached to products goes off um we want you to confront the customer but if they say no just let them go that's amazing like like we're, we don't want you to push the confrontation any further we don't want you to like look in their bags just like let them go and let a manager know right Looting is fine. Looting's part. Looting is, I won't even say fine. I'll say it's looting and shoplifting are inevitable under the conditions of capitalism. They, right. Just without even passing a moral judgment on it, like they, they just will happen. 
I'll go one further and say that they're good. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, on a personal level, I, I think more that's judgment. Too. They're good <laughs> always. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, having having taught, have, having reformed all this bunch of degenerate criminals, um, Helen goes to look at Joe, but then Joe just takes off, and and he doesn't he return something that he stole. Uh, yeah. So he sticks around in the store and uh gimpy and true fell son fashion shuts the lights off he's like mr morris had to shut the lights off joe i'm just doing what i'm told <laughs> it leaves joe in the dark joe goes over to the perfume section because previously in the film they had talked about like this perfume called hour of ecstasy that helen wanted so he goes over to steal it but then he has you know a change of character and he he buys it and it's very um silly little scene where yeah it's it's like very enthusiastic he very enthusiastically buys it like this the editing and like the smile on his face and how he plops down the 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 three the three dimes and the till and it's just like okay we get it the right thing to do is to pay your 15 dollars plus the tax he play he 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 calculates his own tax in a a very charming scene he he hand writes his own receipt using math and in his head, not even calculated. <laughs> um, and then he, when he goes home, um, Helen's gone because she's like, "Oh, you're you've been a dick, and I don't want to, I don't want to hurt you anymore, so I'm just going." Um, he goes to ask her parole officer where she went, and he's like, "Hey, buddy, like your marriage was even legal, like you're free. You, you should get out of here." Like, yeah, consider yourself lucky. Uh, and then that's how he finds out that she has a kid or that she's pregnant. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and then this is kind of the uh, the more rom com esque aspect of the film, where the the cons get together to uh, to find Helen, and they go all over. They go to different shops that have like you know signs in the window about help, and they go to the Salvation Army. Um, but uh, Gimpy Gimpy saves the day because he's the only one who thinks to look at the hospitals. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I looked in the hospitals, and like we already checked there. He's like, yeah, but I went at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Gimpy. You you came through in the end. Um, and then they have a baby. The, the baby's born. Um, yeah. Happily ever after. Yep. They get married again for real this time. Um, I did like the last shot and the last line of dialogue in the film. So they're 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 all waiting for the. It's just like a justice of the peace wedding. Um, uh, and the con the ex cons are all waiting outside um the the chamber and uh they enter they enter the 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 waiting room uh joe and helen after they've been married they're like where's gimpy and then gimpy comes in from another room holding the baby the crying baby in his arms and he's like well i just thought he should know what's what he's in for um i thought thought that was a good way to end it you know it's like this crying baby it, it it zooms into the crying baby's face and it's just like this is what you're in for kid a life of fucking misery (laughs) I think it's more the promise of a new and happy and stable family. Yeah, that's probably what they were intending. But again, yeah, that, that's your, the text. Your, yeah. your your favorite uh, phrase, "death of the author." Uh. <laughs> the, I appreciate that technique of looking at art, but like it, it has been so ruined by just like by Tumblr, by Twitter, by the discourse and all these bullshit, like these websites, like the idea of like basically saying like, oh, we can make up whatever bullshit we want about anything we want. It's, it's, yeah. just, it, it's applied very uncritically. 
Oh, the for least. sure. Yeah. I mean, especially like the whole idea of like fan theories, right? Like the idea, and we've probably mentioned this before, um, that I specifically hate fan theories in every shape and form, but yeah, they like the, the, the one that comes to mind. And I think a lot of people who listen to this would know, even if you're just kind of a casual film goer is like the Toy Story 3 is actually about the Holocaust discourse. And it's just like, it's patently not about the Holocaust folks. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's 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 a it's a prison movie, but it's not about the Holocaust. Yeah, that's um. Oh my god! And even fucking video games are doing this now because the some dipshit video game critic who blocked me on Twitter said, which is an objectively hilarious line: "The Last of Us Part Two is Schindler's List for video oh, games." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Ridiculous. Like, I don't know, guys. Not everything is is like analogous. I don't just like stop. Just stop doing this, folks, please. Yeah, just I don't know. This is straying a little bit from my my dissatisfaction with FIV author, but like you you can reference other works of art in like a comprehensive larger review, but like to say that X is Y, especially about like a fucking video game where you like you just shoot people. Like I don't know. It, right. it, it seems to. It, it seems to support our buddy, our, our boy, Roger Ebert's idea that games are not art. Like it just, it just gives him more ammo. <laughs> I don't know. I've been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption, and it's pretty cool. I don't know. It's a cool game. Oh, no. To, to be clear, I, I think video games can be art for sure. It's just a that, that was like an infamous thing. It was like right before he died, too. Like he got into yeah. a, a big tussle with everyone. I get to pour coffee in Red Dead Redemption. I get to I get to press a button to pour and I press a button to drink. That's art, folks. That's fancy. The fact that we've That's gotten f- to that part in games where we're just doing chores and things that we do in real life. It's fucking amazing. I mean, that was the joke about originally about Farmville back when that was a thing on, on Facebook. Yeah, it's no, like, oh, Farmville's you're Farmville's just- got nothing on Red Dead Redemption too, let me tell you. <laughs> uh does is it is it like Stardew Valley level of chores? No, I mean, because, like, you don't, you don't farm, but, like, especially stuff like hunting and, like, cooking, um, those specifically, there's, like, there's, there's a, a level of, like, detail, there's a, a lot of minutia around those, and even just, like, what buttons you press, um, and, and then there was a lot of discourse when it first came out about, like, the horse, and, like, how much attention you have to pay to, like, your horse, you can brush your horse. You can pet your horse. You can feed your horse. You watch it poop. It's if it's a male horse, its balls shrink in the winter. Yes, like, I remember, I remember yeah. that. Yes, the shrinking <laughs> balls. Um, oh, we're getting yes. far afield, though. I don't know what we're even talking about, folks. Anymore. This is a this is a gaming podcast now. <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> horse balls and shit. Um, uh, but yeah, then that's the movie. The movie ends. Baby cries. Everybody lives happily ever after, except in my read of the film where everybody dies uh, horribly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> what what is what is bourgeois security if not a prison? Yeah, and also precarious, right? I mean, like you know, even COVID. Uh, COVID has taught us COVID, this very this lesson right? very well. Yeah. So, um, speaking of work, uh, workers of note, we have here. Um, some individuals uh, who were in charge of the sets and set decoration. Uh, we have A.E. Freudeman, uh, set decorator, uh, Sam Comer, uh, set dresser uncredited, and Roy Kruger, uh, props uncredited. Uh, specifically, I think for me, the 
um, the department store, of course. I think just like there's so much care put into how it's laid out. And like I said, in that beginning song, um, like just the, the little tableaus that they create. Um, then there's something we didn't mention was when the Helen and George do their honeymoon where they go to oh, different uh, yeah. ethnic restaurants. Those are incredible sets. They go to a Swedish restaurant, an Austrian restaurant, uh, an Italian and a Chinese restaurant. And what's really funny is um, the way it's presented is like, oh, we can't afford our own honeymoon, so we'll make our own. It, it's kind of like a, a working class, lower class, like like way to, yes. Be, yes. Way to have like a fun, to splurge on a fun night out. Yeah. Uh, and they're just like, it's just cool little sets. Um, also the... Um, and in the two, the two later songs, um, the the she the sea shanty bar, and yes. the prison, yeah, those those are those are good sets because we actually mm-hmm. see them. We actually see the actors in them. Yeah, and they, and we should say I didn't put this down, but maybe someone like a, a lighting grip or something like that because like the lighting in those scenes are really good as well. There's a lot of like yeah, you yeah. know heavy German expressionist vibes. Uh, in, in most of the scenes that involve like the criminals and the heist and stuff like that, is that like moody, kind of dark and shadowy stuff? Is that what you mean? Yeah, when you say German mm-hmm. expression that's German like expression. That. It's very angular, uh, like lighting and just shapes and stuff. And uh, yeah, you know, came out of uh, Germany before the war, and then continued on um, in, in America because so many German filmmakers came to America. Um, during uh, the Nazi occupation or the, the, the Nazi regime. And uh, yeah, it's film noir, you know, is, uh, is an outgrowth of German expressionism um, and, and their lighting and, uh, and, and themes as well, you know. Uh, closing thoughts, uh, what do we have for recommendations? So for our broke recommendation, we have uh, fans of genre-bending films, uh, as we've alluded to. This is a rom-com. This is a crime picture. This is a musical. Morality tale, kind of a fable. Yeah, it's a morality tale, a fable. It's just kind of, uh, it's a lot wrapped in one. And it, uh, I don't know. I think it does them mostly well, except the crime element. Like, I, w- I wish there was more to that. I like we don't I, the 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 song the 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 knocking song the stick with the mob song like it's really good and that scene is incredible but I I I don't know I wish we spent more time with that group. I think it works well from the perspective of somebody who's trying not to be drawn back into the mob. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's kind of where it shines. Um, which which gives it a very unique perspective uh, rather than just like oh. I mean, yeah, in a lot of crime like dramas, even older ones, even newer ones, like there's that idea of like someone being drawn back into the mob and then they or into the life of crime and then they do criminal activities. Um, but to make it so like, so, to make him so reluctant and to make like the actual crime stuff so like inept that that feels more real in a way. Yeah. No, I agree. I just I, I mean, I think the movie could be longer. Again, I don't know why I would say that. It's a, it's a, it's ninety minutes, but I feel like it should be longer. I don't know. And it should be noted, um, this movie is available on YouTube. Watch it, like uh, like uh, multiple different rips are on YouTube, and it's so oh, yeah. old that the copyright probably doesn't apply. It, everyone should just go see it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, our woke recommendation is for probably everyone that's listening to this right now. <laughs> uh, retail burnouts. Um, if you've ever worked in service industry, retail industry. Um, even stuff like I would say like 
kind of like behind the scenes, like factory work. I, I think there's still uh, an emotional connection there. Um, but yeah, this movie is definitely for you. We, you, you felt the temptations, the stresses, and the annoyances of kind of what this film is about. I think um, even even like where Lewis and I are not, or Pearl is our ex-cons or anything. But like, even if you're not an ex-con, um, that idea of like, especially Jesus, especially like today under under the life of COVID, like yeah difficulty finding work for whatever arbitrary reason that has nothing to do with you right um it's there and and this movie is about that um at its core Mm -hmm. and again i just wish if it was a little longer we'd have more time in the department store like we get it, it after the initial scene the scenes of the department store punctuate the film few and far between and i just i wish we got more of that wish we got more of the 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 ex-cons the the parolees interacting with like customers and stuff besides that initial scene and there's that one um in that initial sequence there's when mrs morris the owner's wife comes in um and she chews out the luck the safe pick um the safe cracker ex-con um there's there's like a lot of there's like a very palpable class distinction there because like she obviously yeah. her husband owns a store and um she looks down on this guy for pantomiming like he's picking a lock when he's showing her how this device works that he sold to her yeah a can opener it's supposed to be a can opener <laughs> it's like a it's like a eight in one multi-gadget tool for, yeah. the, for the kitchen bring back those tools <laughs> if it had one more device it could just cook for you it's kind of like the stuff that um uh the kids dad and gremlins make yeah 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 multi-functioning kitchen gadgets that almost inevitably never work (laughs) or the spongebob try spatula yes when he presses it it turns into a helicopter yeah it it flies Um, and our bespoke recommendation is for all you prison abolitionists out there, which again is probably a majority of you listen to this podcast. If you're not, you should be. Um, it definitely depicts prison as this uh, awful, awful system that um, just changes the way you think and how you feel about um, the world. Um, if you are someone who's uh, you know been incarcerated and um, you know, the, the system makes it harder for you to live uh, as a um, as a, a, a member of society, and uh, that's supremely fucked. Um, there's a, a lot of great resources of pre- prison abolition online. You know, we're we're not the uh, we're not scholars here, but uh, yeah, uh, Marian Kaba is a great one to follow uh, at Prison Culture on Twitter um yeah and i i can make like a common sense like dumb guy pitch too even even leaving aside like far more qualified people than either one of us just like yeah i i I understand the idea that criminals violent dangerous criminals need to be sequestered from society but the answer isn't this this like abusive system that only exacerbates that only just like intensifies those like bad tendencies. What what violent criminals need is therapy, and what nonviolent criminals need is not to live under capitalism. Right. And prison prison doesn't do either one of those things. Right. 
you know, and, and there's always the potential of um, a society that creates fewer violent criminals um, because it's a society that uh, invests in, you know, social care, um, in, invests in social safety nets and, and, and social programs, um, public health, you know, being one of the big ones, um, uh, public housing, um, you know, housing rights, uh, education rights, all these kind of things. If you, if you are a society that invests in those, um, then you don't have to invest in the prison system. And it should be noted, crime is going down. Um, yeah. There, there was like a peak, I think, in the 70s. And like there, there's some crazy theories that they're like potentially linked to like the, the presence of lead paint in, in, in homes, yeah. especially in lower yeah. lower income mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Um, Even like lead and gasoline as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but for whatever reason, just like crime is going down. Globally. Um, not yeah, even just like America, but globally. Yeah. But I mean, America is obviously the worst culprit in terms of its in prison industrial complex. Yeah. But, um, it, I, I honestly feel that prison is one of those things that, assuming that humanity survives for hundreds of more years, like it will be looked back upon as a form of barbarism. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and it's wrong. It's let go of this bullshit idea that is sold to you mainly through hack shows like like Criminal Minds or, or Law and Order or bullshit like that. Like these are not like Batman villains that need to be punished for killing like like the worst most like gritty and like kind of like sexualized like depictions of violence like most crime is people doing dumb shit that they shouldn't have to do anyway mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 always a st- i think it's a st- prison is a sticking point for a lot of people because they can't imagine a different world similar to similar to when people talk about socialism or communism or even anarchism they they cannot comprehend um how those things would function because the systems that we have are all encompassing all consuming um and have and have made it so that um their you know their their perpetuity seems normal and natural but obviously it is not and these things can and will end and we will live in a better society and the goddamn Protestant work ethic just like demands that people are punished for their misdeeds. It, it demands that like anyone who doesn't earn what they have, it, it should be taken away from them and, and they should be punished. Um, and that's, that's fucking dumb. Yeah. It's fucking dumb. Um, so yeah, get all that shit out of your system. Uh, watch this movie. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> watch this, watch this movie and then read up on prison abolition. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It has to be those two things together or you might get some, you know, some mixed messages <laughs> yeah. from this film itself. Uh. <laughs> uh, I guess we can close this episode um, with kind of our plugs here. Um, yes, we almost never do this. Actually, by we almost never, I mean, we never do we've this. Never done it. We've done this when we were on Cooper's podcast. Yes, and maybe and, when like we first created our social media accounts. <laughs> but we'll, we'll start doing it. We'll start reminding people. Yeah, um, pay us money. pay us money uh it'll go towards a good cause um it'll it'll go towards our books that we'll buy ourselves about prison abolition yes and then we'll teach you um we'll we'll, we'll do it we'll do a helen like what helen does at the end of this movie we'll teach you yeah uh so go to our patreon um that is www.patreon.com slash pro underscore con p-r-o underscore c-o-n uh also follow us on twitter 
twitter.com slash proletarianc, uh, P-R-O-L-E-T-A. I'm not going to spell that. <laughs> we can't spell, folks. No. <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's right in front of us, but it's just a long word. You fucking figure it out. You'll know yeah, I, I don't need to spell out every word. It's just <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, our Facebook www.facebook.com uh, spelled F-U-C-K M-A-R-K Z-U-C-K-E-R-B-E-H <laughs> actually I thought for a second you were going to say F-U-C-K-Y-O-U-L-E-W-I nope, <laughs> nope, nope. oh that's nice you yeah, you're fuck welcome. you Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> not me um, facebook.com uh, slash proletarian contrarian one word capital P capital C I don't even know if the capitals matter but Th- One word. I know they're there. Cap- capital's so. optional. Yeah. Uh, also, and... we do have an Instagram where you can see our our mascot, Celeste the Cat. Yes. If you follow us, we'll, I'll post more. But if you don't, I will withhold that content from you. So. <laughs> I see Celeste every week. I see her right now. I see her on the ledge behind Lois, um, yep. up on the mantle. She's lying yep. down on a blanket. She's it's on, very cute. Yeah. It's a it's um it's a very nice blanket I got for my wedding, and I put it up there once on the mantle uh to leave for a guest in the guest bedroom and it's so now, forever it, yeah. yep <laughs> but yeah uh instagram um and our instagram handle is proletarian dot contrarian no spaces yep unfortunately folks i could not get uh one consistent, Can't make it consistent. Handle. <laughs> uh, whatever it's it's good we um we're we're pretty active on these things uh, we're, we're active on the ones that matter yeah not Facebook. It doesn't matter at all. You don't have to follow us there. Don't that, worry that, about that's that. A formality. That's formality. We'll probably stop saying that one eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess we can. And and the last, last, last thing for real, we can we can tease our next episode, which I am extremely excited to to record. Yes. Yeah. It'll. I, I guess we could say this. It'll it'll be our first real interview that we do. Yeah, it will be an interview. Um, it will be with a director of a film that we have reviewed previously on this podcast. That that gives them uh, seventy seven options. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess maybe you could go through them and find out who's living and who's dead. Yep, that's true. And who's like, who would actually want to come on our podcast? And who'd be like, fuck these guys? <laughs> it's not Fritz Lang. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Fritz Lang. No, it's also not Joe Dante, but one day he's, he he's, will be on He's the Holy Grail. We'll, we'll get him. We'll get him. Mm-hmm. I actually almost messaged him today on Twitter, but his DMs are not open. Oh, God, Joe, get at us. <laughs> Come on, Joe. I would love that. that, would, that would, I, I would love that, too. But you, that, would, that would be something special for you, particularly. Yes. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be incredible. Well, I guess we'd have to, like, maybe message Josh Olson because, like, I don't know. He's, we'll he there. seems to be more, like, the thrust behind their podcast and, like, Joe Dante's just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's, that's so good, though. That's so him. That's, like, yeah. He's oh, like, yeah. yeah. Just humor and a friend, just chilling. It's yeah. Kinda... <laughs> but, yeah, right. uh, I, I, I am very excited about this. Um, Lewis is very excited about this. And it will be one for the books, as they say. Yeah, so it will air next Monday, which I believe is the 6th of July. Yeah, look forward to that, folks, and um, we'll see you then. See you then. You cannot get something for nothing, and only a chump would try it. Whatever you see that you really want, you may have, provided you buy it. You'd like to live a life of luxury, wearing ermine wraps, a bracelet perhaps, or this sparkling gem. Remember, they cannot be lost.
Money cannot buy. For instance, can you name a few? Just try. Beauty to attract the man you love. You have to buy. Gems of pot to cultivate the mind. You have to buy. Even vim and vigor and good health you have to buy. Sunny skies and mother nature's wealth you have to buy. Cheese and roses, snowshoes and statues, perfumes and pistols, piccolos and dynamos, garbage cans and feather fans, candy sticks and building bricks, silver chests and booby tents, aeroplanes and streamlined trains. Let's see the color of your dough. You cannot rearrange a plan made by man since the world began. You cannot get something for nothing, only a child. 